Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Well, of course, Pramila Jayapal deserves censure. That, that goes without question. The question is, why does she still have committees? If Marjorie Taylor Greene can talk about the Jewish space lasers and end up losing committees, why is it that Pramila Jayapal, the congresswoman from Washington State, the head of the Progressive Caucus, why can she call Israel a racist state and still have committees? You see, it's one thing when someone's just a ridiculous dope in the case of Marjorie Taylor Greene and Jewish space lasers. Yes, it's ridiculous. Yes, you can argue that there's an anti-Semitism vibe because, oh yeah, the Jews control this and the Jews control that. What Pramila Jayapal did was create a strained relationship or attempt to create a strained relationship, created the opportunity for a strained relationship between the U.S. and Israel, and we have a lot of deals we do together. As a matter of just international diplomacy, what an awful and ignorant thing to say. What a ridiculous, bigoted, hateful thing to say, and certainly what an anti-Semitic thing to say. For that, shouldn't she lose her committee assignments? How is the answer anything but yes? How is it possible that the answer is anything but yes? Censure? Dear Lord, people, that's not enough at all. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. I wanted to get into a story about a letter that was sent a letter that was sent an open letter to joe biden a letter that suggests that joe biden not pay any attention at all to the supreme court you've got this law professor out of harvard it's always the law professors out of harvard who are the problem mark tushnet And you've got a political scientist by the name of Aaron Belkin from San Francisco State University. They penned, quote, an open letter to the Biden administration on popular constitutionalism. For the love of the Lord, I have no idea what that is. I have no idea what they're talking about. Chances are, neither do they. We urge President Biden to restrain MAGA justices immediately by announcing that if and when they issue rulings that are based on gravely mistaken interpretations of the Constitution that undermine our most fundamental commitments, the administration will be guided by its own constitutional interpretations. Translation, if you don't like what the Supreme Court is doing, become a banana republic and destroy the republic while you're at it. Thank you very much. You want me to trust Harvard-trained lawyers? What, are you out of your damn mind? They're, they're taught to be reactionaries and revolutionaries and not to accept the system, not to accept that sometimes you lose, not to accept checks and balances, but destroy, denigrate, and if you have to, wipe the whole thing clean. Now, we should be clear. The Declaration of Independence says as much. The Declaration of Independence states very, very clearly that to secure these rights 
among these, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, quote, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its power in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. The declaration is clear about saying if things aren't working, throw it away. But we should also be very clear that what this Harvard Law professor and this San Francisco State University political scientist are calling for is not just insurrection, is flat-out overthrow. I love it when I get to use their words against them. It makes me so happy. It does. What a thing to say. We have worked diligently, they write, over the past five years to advocate Supreme Court expansion as a necessary strategy for restoring democracy. Although we continue to support expansion, the threat that MAGA justices pose is so extreme that reforms that do not require congressional approval are needed at this time, and advocates and experts should encourage President Biden to take immediate action to limit the damage. So... What they are are saying is that popular constitutionalism uh, is necessary because uh, courts do not exercise exclusive authority over constitutional meaning. So their theory is that Biden could explain how the Supreme Court decisions are wrong and alter an alternative constitutional interpretation. Where does it say in the Constitution that he can do that? If he wants to pay off student loans and the and the Supreme Court says, well, constitutionally you can't do that because that's a spending program and spending has to originate in Congress, he can say, yes, I can. Now, you understand that I believe that a president can do this when we talk about district judges or other judges. When President Trump wants to repeal DACA and some judge says, you can't do that, whoa, whoa, whoa. DACA was an executive order. I'm the president. I'm giving a new executive order. DACA's done. You could take your decision, judge, and pound sand. I don't give a damn. It was an executive order. I'm the president. I give executive orders, and that's it. If you don't like it, who cares? And then I would have called the judge a couple of choice names, and maybe I'd call his mother a name or two, for thinking that you could usurp the duly elected presidents of the United States. Because I'm in the Constitution and you are just a fever dream of Congress. Remember, only the Supreme Court is in the, the Constitution. All these other courts, they can be easily removed. In this particular historical moment, MAGA justices pose a grave threat to our most fundamental commitments because they rule consistently to undermine democracy and curtail fundamental rights and because many of their rulings are based on misleading and untrue claims. No, you just don't like the result. Roe v. Wade never should have been law to begin with. It being overturned was the right decision. You not liking it is meaningless. To say that things are so dire that we have to go away from the Constitution is an insane thought. And the people who have proffered that thought are the most horrific people in society. It is just like uh, Rahm Emanuel stated, never let a crisis go to waste. That's exactly 
what this is. And yes, not only do they uh, believe in insurrection, they believe in overthrow. Because couldn't they say the same thing of a president where they didn't like what he was doing or she was doing? Or, or, or a branch of, of Congress, the Senate or, or the House. I said a branch, but you know what I mean. They are advocating for not only insurrection, they are advocating for overthrow. Why are not, they not being charged? Look, all I'm doing is applying the rules that they themselves have set. Don't get angry with me for doing so. And don't get angry with me for noticing that this is a terrible idea. But if we're going to pack the court and that's the reasonable solution, because there's no rule that says you have to have nine court justices. You can have as many as you want or as few as you want. I believe that Republicans, when they win the presidency and take the Senate, keep the House, should pack the court. I never did before, I do now. 15, is that the number people want? Fine, 15 it is. Six justices, all conservatives, confirmed, boom, done. This is the world that they want. They've told you so. So why don't we give them the world they want? I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz today. We're going to talk a little inside Indiana business. Tony Katz. The real question is, is Brad Chambers getting into this race? That's the question before us. Is Brad Chambers, the former, well, soon to be former Secretary of Commerce, is he going to get in? And what does he have to offer in a race? Is he going to tie himself to Eric Holcomb? Is that a way to move Republicans in a primary where you've got four other candidates? Or is he going to try and branch out on his own, tell his own story? His economic success, how he brought economic success to the state of Indiana. I mean, that is that is the question. I don't see how he gains a level of success if he doesn't tell his own tale. I don't see how connecting to Holcomb works for a an important an important segment of the primary voter. I don't see how that comes together. If you were to tie yourself solely to Eric Holcomb and look what we did here and look what we did there, people would say, well, then why didn't you advise Holcomb to not shut down society, not do this, not do that? That's where uh, Suzanne Crouch is, stuck in that. I don't know if Chambers wants to be stuck in that. Gary Dick joins us inside indianabusiness.com on Twitter at IIB, you spoke to the man. The interview is there at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. First, is he running for governor? And secondly, what is his argument about uh, Indiana's economic future? Yeah, I think a couple things, uh, Tony. Uh, gut feel not based on any inside information by any stretch of the imagination. I think the betting money is on him running. Uh, I asked him about that in uh, on the show this weekend, and uh, he definitely uh, kind of brushed it off, uh, saying he's flattered by the attention and the interest in him running for governor. But it's something that uh, you know he'll give due consideration on as he runs through the tape, so to speak, finishing out his term uh, at the uh, uh, Indiana Economic Development Corporation. 
as Secretary of Commerce. So uh, I, I, my gut feel is it will happen. We'll we'll see here in the next couple of weeks uh, with uh, uh, any announcement on the uh, on the topic. And I think, you know, clearly if he does get if he would get in the race, he would be running on that level of success that was achieved uh, by the state, by the Indiana Economic Development Corporation under under his watch, 30 plus billion dollars in deals uh, in six quarters. 25,000 job commitments, you know, these have not happened. These are commitments, you know, forward looking kinds of things, but uh, record numbers in 2022 as well. And some big deals around the state, South Bend area, New Carlisle with a big GM joint venture up there, 1,700 uh, uh, jobs, $3 billion plus investment. So I think those big deals, those economic development numbers and the business success would be if, and it's a big if, if he gets in, would be a key part of that campaign. Uh, so it, he can, I believe, run on the, on the merits, the successes that he had with the IEDC uh, and, and, of course, his own uh, personal, professional uh, history. That's different than running as um, – somebody who worked with governor holcomb but that's a that's a political question about whether or not that is advantageous but if we take a look at the entirety of the field for governor we can say a couple of things first we can say that mike braun center mike braun's money did not scare a single person from getting into this race we can say that Suzanne Crouch's two terms as lieutenant governor doesn't, doesn't necessarily guarantee her the nomination uh, for a governor. Uh, we can also uh, say that the uh, introduction of Curtis Hill, the former attorney general, now leads to a, uh, a conversation about how the social conservatism is going to be a factor in this race when maybe the other candidates could have kept that more on a back burner. What does the business community think about the potential of five Republicans on, you know, for this nomination while the Democrats slowly and with very little fundraising? I mean, she's got very little money to her name, according, I believe, to the IBJ, only 200,000 cash on hand. Jennifer McCormick, a former Republican, former superintendent of public instruction, running as the Democratic nominee. What is the business community saying to you? I, you know, I think there's interest in a business friendly, uh, business friendly leadership at the state level, to be sure. Someone uh, who uh, has been in the uh, in the fight. If you look at uh, a Mike Braun who built uh, a business, obviously brings a lot of money to the table from a, from a political standpoint, but also built uh, uh, certainly built uh, a business. You look at. Uh, Brad Chambers built a business, actually started started his business, Buckingham Companies, which is growing into a multi-billion dollar portfolio company while he was at IU, a student, and and, and built that. So he's an entrepreneur. He's uh, going to be running on those business principles, growing uh, the average wage in the state of Indiana, as an example, which obviously is a big uh, a big issue and a challenge uh, uh, for folks. So uh, I think there's a, a generally a feeling. I don't get a sense. I don't talk to people who have, a, you know, this uh, this overwhelming desire for one candidate or another. But I do think, just generally speaking, from a business standpoint, business community standpoint, that business friendly, economic development friendly uh, kind of uh, a candidate would be appealing. Talking to Gary Dick from InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter. At IIB, and last week, uh, the um, Indiana Farm Bureau Fall Creek Pavilion 
over there at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. 196,000 square feet. This has been the renovation, the big grand opening. Um, tell, talk to me about economic impact. I mean, it, we should be clear, the State Fair is starting. Uh, the, the, the Fairgrounds does a tremendous amount of activities uh, year in and year out. But it seems that things like this are trying to drive more convention-style business or more ag-style business to the, to the fairgrounds. Yeah, I think all of the above, Tony. You make a good point. The fair uh, starts this weekend. Uh, early es- uh, estimates, uh, reports, or studies have been done pegging that economic impact of the fairgrounds, $200 million a year. That goes far beyond the Indiana State Fair, as you suggest. Events are held held there throughout the year. This project, which was unveiled last week, the Swine Barn, 100-plus years old uh, at the Indiana State Fairgrounds, total transformation, $50 million project. So they're going to have ag events. In fact, they've landed uh, the largest uh, swine show, pork show in the country uh, that will be coming there in the coming months. But also they're going to be doing uh, athletic events, uh, if you can believe it, $50 million makeover. They're going to have a, a portable track installed at this facility, they've already landed the 2025 Division II Track and Field Championships that will be held there. They're going to be going after more sporting events. So this is another uh, feather in the cap, if you will, for the sports movement in Indiana, another venue to sell, another venue to promote as Indiana and Indianapolis go after amateur sporting events. But part of an evolution that I have watched over the past really 20-plus years at the fairgrounds, truly becoming a year-round, 365-day-a-year uh, venue, not just the fair, but uh, competing for conventions and meetings and, and those types of things, and now sporting events. Has the, on on the subject of sporting events, clearly you have the Indy Fuel who play there. They're building the fuel tank. There, this this uh, play was it Fishers? Is it Noblesville? I for, I forget at the moment. Um, yep. And they're gonna they're no, it's Fishers, right? They're gonna move over Fishers. there. Yeah. So yep. so right. that that's a loss. That's a loss of of. Uh, uh, basically a a regular event taking place. What's the plan to replace it? Yeah, you're right. And in fact, uh, the fuel will ultimately be moving, as you say, to that new venue in Fishers and uh, IUPUI uh, basketball, uh, which has been uh, at the, uh, at the Coliseum ultimately will be moving because, and I think it got passed through the legislature with not a lot of attention, uh, Money has been allocated to build a new on-campus arena, a small arena, at IUPUI. So you would uh, a small arena, but it's still going to be able to hold concerts. It's, it's going to do a lot of things. Right. right, right, and and basketball, of course. So there's another potential loss. But I think it's part of the ebb and flow that uh, uh, you know the uh, the state fairgrounds in that competitive marketplace in, in competing for. Uh, Teams, events, and meetings, and those those types of things. So part of uh, part of the evolution, the, the Coliseum obviously underwent a massive renovation several years ago to accommodate the fuel in, in IUPUI and others. I'm sure they'll be in the competitive uh, marketplace going for events uh, going forward as well. There's always a competitive marketplace. Everywhere's a competitive marketplace. I honestly, I, I mean, it, the fairgrounds are cool. If you've never been, the fairgrounds are cool. They do some cool events. Meekum's there, everything else. They do have to market themselves. And I think this 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 redo is is helpful in getting some other types of convention business that don't necessarily need the convention center. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today.
I'm not coming out and saying that Joe Biden is leading us to war. I mean, there are people who will argue, and I think to some level of, of efficacy, that Biden's moves and maneuvers certainly make the U.S. being involved in conflicts more possible. But these latest two maneuvers, we're moving warships to the Gulf, and what happened with this U.S. soldier, you can argue abducted by the North Koreans, but he was a disturbed guy who ran over the DMZ. He ran towards North Korea. Of course he got abducted. Well, what does this mean for the United States? This is all of this one step closer to some level of warfare. What exactly are we dealing with? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Great to be here. Thank you for being here. That's Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army West Point uh, guy, you can follow him on Twitter, M-A-J, Mike Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S, M-A-J, Mike Lyons. On the Twitter box, you do a lot of um, analysis work. You've done it for us. You've done it for CBS Radio. You do it uh, on the cable nets. And I know that we've got the counteroffensive going on in Ukraine, but these other two stories right now just are almost kind of like this pylon of what it is that we're seeing. And I want to start with what's going on in North Korea because it's certainly more sensational, even though I think what's happening in the Persian Gulf is much more dangerous. Who is this soldier? How in the world was he able to get close enough to the DMZ? Was he stationed there that he runs across? And where does this put the U.S. military and the White House right now? Tony, great to be back with you. Yeah, Private Tyler King was somebody that should have been chaptered out of the Army a long time ago. But because of recruiting requirements right now, not getting enough people in, it looks like he was given multiple second, third, fourth chances. He was not a good soldier, had uh, a record and was going to be prosecuted, in fact. And they were trying to send him back to the United States for that. Um, he decides to get in some kind of tour group and that some to- sort of tour group gets close enough to the DMZ and he decides that that were uh, what he was going to do. Uh, literally crossed over, completely volunteered by himself. And now we're in this pickle about how do we get him back? I want to take just a moment to make sure that's understood. He wasn't serving. He was part of a tour group. But as I have read the stories, he had also been held for observation. He was told to leave South Korea, I believe it was. And he didn't. How is it possible that someone's told to leave the country or, 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 or step away and somehow two guys, two MPs can't put you on a plane? Well, it, it wouldn't be MPs. It would be his uh, NCOs that work with him. And it, it's likely he falls through the cracks. And that does happen sometime in the military, unfortunately. Uh, I can tell you from personal experience, we had individuals like this that we knew we had to treat with kid, kid gloves to make sure that when it was time for them to go, that they actually you know, had to be driven to the airport, put on a plane. Um, and likely there, there was a failure in the chain of command. Maybe they'll do an investigation and that'll come out. But this is someone that should have been watched closely, not assuming he would ever, you know, you don't make the assumption that somebody would do something like this. But, you know, given the fact that he was going back for punishment, uh, likely should have had a lot more supervision. He was on a tour. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very strange to think about. What kind of tour is this? Who else was on this tour? And do you know what happens when they realize somebody just ran over to North Korea? Yeah, civilian tour that's run there within that security zone. Um, you know, we saw that's the same kind of location where Donald Trump met, uh, you know, met Kim Jong-un there. And, and um, it's, it's, you know, it's commercialism on one side. And 
uh, it gets close enough where it's a very thin border on some level. The the guards there on, on both sides, you know, they've gotten to know each other. It's not, you know, I would say because of Trump, there's less hostility that exists at that border right now. And that's probably why uh, he thought he could do this. He goes over. He's now the captain. He's now captive. Mm-hmm. of north korea uh kim jong-un uh may be all the weird dopey things but certainly not not a fool mm-hmm. what leverage is this for kim jong-un is this nothing more than a food leverage for his people or is this a far more dangerous moment than any of us realize i you know, we have to see what happens i know we're talking to them right now that that report just came out this morning that uh, we're talking to try to figure out to get him back um, I'm not sure what leverage he provides. He's not a stellar soldier. We we needed to get him back. Let's let's put that out there. I mean, any American held, you know, against their will on a foreign country has, you know, we need to do whatever that we can. So I, I don't want to, you know, dismiss that at all. Um, the guy needs help, obviously, and and so I, let's, you know, maybe there's some humanitarian side that's going to take place on the North Koreans and realize that this guy's really no leverage. He's no nothing. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Yeah, let's, let's, let's not bank our money uh, on that one right there. This is Kim right. Jong-un. This is whatever right. I can get, I can get, and I will extract. And and I think America sees it differently, sir, because yeah. this guy ran across. He wasn't taken. He wasn't abducted. Right. Supposedly right. laughing as he ran. Yeah. But we can argue if he was indeed mentally disturbed, he might not realize exactly the jeopardy he put himself in. Right. Is that the take of the U.S. military, of the, of the government? Yeah, embarrassingly so. And again, um, it's just harder to chapter out people from the military these days because there's so much pressure to keep you know unit end strengths at high levels. And you kind of tolerate this. Uh, the guy should have not been any – he shouldn't be deployed. He should be back in the United States uh, in a unit there potentially – uh, but be he's clearly fit to not serve. You know, that, that's the thing. Not everybody is fit to serve. And uh, he clearly proved that out. He was fit to unfit to be ser- to serve. And now, you know, we're dealing with the situation. Let's talk about what we're dealing with in the Gulf. Uh, this is the Times of Israel right here. U.S. dispatches more warships, jets to Persian Gulf to protect shipping lanes. Uh, also, twenty five hundred Marines are going um, this is an escalation. And this has to do with Iranian piracy, correct? Yeah, it does. Um, we're sending a destroyer there um, and an amphib, and that's where the Marines are coming from as well. And it's all about uh, escorting uh, ships that, that are not necessarily American flag, but other countries that the Iranians have decided that they're going to try to seize and take over. So uh, it's deterrence. I have no problem with it. They're in international waters. This is what the Navy does. It projects power. Um, and it, it, it's not, it's not an aircraft carrier, but the F, uh, you know, F-18s will be, you know, on station. Um, and it's to keep the, it's to keep commerce flowing within that region. Uh, it is, I believe it's pronounced uh, Bataan. It might be pronounced Bataan. And, and that is, uh, the, this group that has, as you talked about the amphib, the amphibious, yeah. uh, um, type of uh, assault weapons or assault ship, uh, that that's there. The only way to stop the Iranians from trying to steal oil tankers or, or anything else is to shoot them dead in the water. You argue, you might say that it's of course a projection of strength. And this is one of the reasons why you need a strong Navy as you and I mm-hmm. have discussed. We don't have nearly as many ships as we actually need to be able to, to do that, to project the strength that the United States needs to project by any other measure. It's a huge Navy by our measure. It's not a huge Navy, right? 
But if the purpose isn't to stop the Iranians by the utilization of force, what makes us think that the projection of force is enough? Well, I think it's proven to be. Um, you know, we've seen Nicole, for example, attack 22 years ago from uh, Al Qaeda. And we know that uh, when we send just a destroyer on, onto itself, that, uh, you know, it increases their level of awareness. I, I've talked to captains of those kinds of ships. And that's become more and more that mission. We peel off a destroyer whose primary mission is to defend the carrier, that carrier that's in uh, the Gulf of Oman and other places that's that's in the neighborhood, so to speak. Um, but but we're trying to you know use these assets in order to protect, uh, you know, what, what you know, to project power in there. I, I think that the, the this is what we have to do, at least to start. Um, there's vulnerability that exists because we send a destroyer. That's a big ship. It's a big target if the Iranians decide to do something. I, I, but but we're seeing more and more that uh, they're not dumb enough to, to attack a U.S. naval warship, I think, in that, that part of the world. Um, if you believe that Biden is not strong, but Biden is weak, sir, talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, then you may do other things. For example, Vladimir Putin going into Ukraine. We'll get to the counteroffensive in, this, in, a, in a second. Mm-hmm. Is the projection on the world stage, the political one as seen in the United States from the right, that Biden got us into this because of Biden's weakness? Or is the projection on the world stage, the one from the political left in the United States, that Biden has rallied NATO together and therefore he's stronger than ever and other nations now know it? Well, I think this particular situation in the Persian Gulf, this is the Pentagon going to the White House saying, look, we got to do something here. I'm not sure... The president projects power, especially when he goes to a NATO summit and can't seem to stick with a program and go out to dinner with everybody. I, you know, it, it, the countries rely on the United States and rely on kind of other other factors, let's say, that's going on. I, you know, I, maybe it's somewhere in the middle of what you just talked about. You know, Joe Biden has not done this. You know, he's not done any kind of diplomacy uh, in order to keep NATO countries together. NATO countries have recognized in Europe in particular that Russia is a threat and is a threat to Ukraine and the threat to their security. So that's what's really prompted them to doing that. The United States still fits foots the bill for most of the things going on in Ukraine anyway. Uh, So I I wouldn't say it's Biden's personality. We could argue whether or not if Trump was president or somebody else was president, Russia wouldn't have gone. Uh, That remains to be seen. I also don't think Donald Trump could stop the war in 24 hours either, uh, given what's going on right now as well. Talk to me about the the Ukraine uh, offensive. Of course, we've broken this down in numerous ways uh, that when we talk about what happened uh, with uh, the the, um, private military company there, Wagner, uh, Mm -hmm. that it wasn't a coup as much as as it was uh, an opportunity to an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Uh, The counteroffensive has the ability to push the Russians out, or does this still end with Ukraine giving up the Donbass? No, it does. They don't have that ability right now. Six weeks into the counteroffensive, they've made just minor gains. Um, And that's, I think, for three primary reasons. The first one is they've not been able to synchronize a combat arms fight uh, and that that is just has to do with um, the fact that they just have never done it before. It's difficult to do that on the fly. That's maneuver infantry, artillery, tanks. They seem to be attacking not in a synchronized way, not you know in different ways to pick apart the Russian defenses, but in a linear way. They go after first artillery, then they come in with maneuver, and it's just it's just not working out. That's the the second reason is the mines and the obstacles that Russia has laid are just more significant than they than they had imagined. 
and they've learned that they've stacked things like the tanks and the minefields that are in there. That, but so the, those obstacles are much more significant that they don't have the equipment to clear. And then the last thing, it really comes down to air superiority. You know, we remember the movie Patton, right? In the last day when finally in Bastogne, the, eyes, the, the skies cleared and they were able to use the air superiority and that broke the back of the Germans there in Bastogne. There's no, there's no function that, the, that, that Ukraine has that can break the back without any kind of air assets. And F-16 showing up next year is not going to cut it either. They're not getting the higher end F-16s. It has a lot of capability. The Russian helicopters are destroying Ukraine um, maneuver elements in place right now as they try to uh, as they try to move on the offense. It's just a grinding war of attrition that's taking place. Again, I ask the question: Does this end without Ukraine giving up the Donbas region? I think it ends where it began, uh, similar to what we saw in Israel and places like that when when countries decide to violate borders. I, I think that there's going to be a more formal border that's going to be made within the Donbass, potentially Crimea, um, because that Russia has to have that. Uh, that's going to be a tough pill for the Ukraine military to swallow. And given the fact that they're, if they've all, if they've sacrificed so far, um, but they just don't have the capability to, to extract them and vanquish them out of those regions that they have. They've taken literally very little space back. There was a report about 50% of what happened initially, but that they already had those some of those regions beforehand. So that that number is just not not really the right number. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think, Tony, that the border is going to get redrawn. That's going to create that that creates a problem for NATO because Russia will use that as a way and make that border a challenge, which will keep Ukraine out of NATO because you can't have a NATO country with a border that has a, a border conflict. We will get more into the NATO conversation, I'm sure, in the weeks ahead. Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, MAJ Mike Lyons, on Twitter. You can catch him there, L-Y-O-N-S. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Find everything that's going on over at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz Today. So we still call Twitter Twitter, right? It's, it's, it's not X. We're still calling Twitter Twitter, even though it's it's the it's the X app or it's part of the X app. Is that is that how it goes? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on? Twitter changed the logo. It's part of the rebrand. And this was always known that what Elon wanted to create was what they what he called X app, which is the everything app. And the idea is, if you take a look at what Amazon does, this is what, at least how I see the idea. If you take a look at what Amazon does, you take a look at what Twitter does, you take a look at what Facebook does and others, why can't you put that all together? Why can't this be the app where you create content, you deliver content, you consume content, from that content you can then engage purchases. You can accept marketing. And then you can share with others your thoughts on the content or the per- or the uh, or the product. I think that's the plan. I think that's where he he wants to be. So Bloomberg says that Twitter has been absorbed into what's known as X Corp, uh, and that here here it is. This is now the we're starting to see this whole business concept take shape. I get that there are people out there loving the fact that Twitter's lost half its advertisers and it's 
bleeding cash and all this. I, I get that there are people excited because they want Elon Musk to fail. And of course they want Elon Musk to fail because Elon Musk, through the buying of Twitter, exposed exactly how disgusting and duplicitous and wholly awful those people are in wanting to keep you from being able to engage. They wanted to silence you. They wanted to keep you quiet. They wanted to prevent stories from coming your way. The amount of thanks Elon Musk should get. I'm not saying I agree with him on everything. I do not hold him up as some kind of conservative hero. I believe that it took him $40 billion in order to show the world exactly what some other people were doing and why you can never trust that ideology. Trust progressives? Hell no. Not because we disagree about something, but because they have shown how proud they are to silence you, just like we saw from the New York Times, Cheryl Gay Stolberg. When is it appropriate for the federal government to seek to tamp down the spread of falsehoods? You mean like the Russia collusion story? Oh, no, 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 you don't mean that. You mean the Hunter Biden laptop story. No, wait, Hunter Biden's laptop was very real. What do you mean by falsehoods? And what makes you think the government should have that power over the citizenry? It took Elon buying Twitter for us to see how bad it is. So for that, I thank him. As for what uh, X app is going to be, a hell of I know. As a content creator, I'm curious. I'll be watching like you are. Find it all at TonyCats.com. Tomorrow, everyone. Take care.